We're going to continue our study in Romans, Romans chapter 4, verse 9. We saw last week had that the, the amazing statement in verse 5. Really, verses 4 and 5 are key. Paul says, now to the one, who, it says in starting in verse 3, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as to what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Paul makes a very, very profound statement there. But to the one who does not work, but simply believes, that person's faith will be credited as righteousness. That, that crazy statement, unless you understand what he's saying. And, and Paul uses Abraham, specifically Abraham in chapter 4, to explain his point. He throws David in as well. Again, as we, we explained last week, he has already said in verse 321 that, that the law and the prophets testify to a righteousness apart from works. Abraham and David would have been those examples. The Old Testament required two witnesses to testify to a fact, maybe that was Paul's point. But Paul's primary point is to use Abraham as an example, as an illustration that faith, it's apart from works. God credits righteousness. He saves a person. The issue, the issue about sin is we're not righteous. Again, it's not that we're not good people. It's you're not righteous. And how, do, how are sinners... Rightly declared righteous by a holy God. I, I realize that's probably not the biggest question in your life right now, but that's the issue of the gospel. How does a holy, just God forgive a sinner and maintain his holiness? How does a judge let a guilty person off the hook, so to speak, and still be a holy, righteous judge? That, that's the answer of the gospel. How can God forgive a sinner without them dying? Because the law says the wages of sin is death. What God did is God crucified Jesus Christ who was perfectly righteous. Had no sin of his own to die for. He crushed him. All, the, all of his wrath, all of his hate towards sin, all the penalty due our sin, God put that on his son. He punished sin. Thereby, whosoever believes upon Jesus, whoever looks to Jesus as your substitute, whoever looks to Jesus as that holy sacrifice, could be saved, forgiven of their sin. Why? Because Jesus paid the price. It wasn't, again, it wasn't that God just said, you know what, I'm just going to sweep their sins under, under the rug and act like they never happened. You would cease being a righteous judge if you did that. The sin demanded death. And God crucified Jesus Christ as the substitute. 2 Corinthians 5 says, said God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God through faith. 
not works. Faith. And Paul, Paul illustrates that point again. The one who doesn't work but believes. Trust totally in the sufficiency of Jesus Christ's work. That's what Paul is saying. And he uses Abraham here as an example. Abraham's big deal. We saw that last week. The father. He's the one that, again, God made the promise to. The Abrahamic covenant, if you will, from Genesis 12, 3. Reiterated in Genesis 15. Reiterated in Genesis 17. That, that listen, Abraham, you're going to be the father of a huge nation. And from your seed, all peoples will be blessed. I'm going to provide a savior through your family. Here's the point. Abraham and Sarah were 80, 90 years old when they were told that. Okay, that's not, that's not child-rearing age. Let's just get the rabbit out, let's let the cat out of the bag. That's not, that's not who you build a nation with. So how would Abraham and Sarah respond? How was Abraham credited righteousness? Bigger than that, how are you and I credited righteousness? Paul is, again, he's continuing this point because whatever was true of Abraham is going to be true of you and I. There's not two gospels here. There's one gospel for all peoples. That's why Paul says in Galatians 1, if anyone comes to you with a gospel different than this gospel, he is to be accursed. Why? Because there's one gospel. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father, John 14, 6, except through me. There's one way. And, and we ought to be amazed that God would make any way. That ought to amaze us. That a holy God would be willing to crucify his own son. That there's any way for a sinner to be made righteous ought to astound us. So what we're seeing today is very important. Again, Paul starts in verse 9. Is this blessing on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? For we say faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it credited? That's the problem. That's the question. How was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And here it is. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of what? Faith, which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised. The righteousness, that righteousness might be credited to them. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but also, also following the steps of what? Faith. You see it. That of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. Here's the main point, and we're going we're gonna to dig into this further today. You see it in the handout. Everything about Abraham's life, everything about his life, everything about his obedience, here it is, was rooted in a promise. Abraham had faith in a promise. He had nothing to cling to except a promise. God offered him a promise, and he simply believed the promise. 
Words are a big deal. We've said that. And, and, and I send out, we do those. Melissa sends out the, the devotions every week. And I asked you in, the, in one of the questions in here to, to look for some key words. And there's a couple of them. But the word promise shows up in every single section of this scripture. Promise. This entire passage, everything here, even your life, my life, it is built on a promise. It goes back to the integrity of a God who offers a promise. Will he keep his promise? God offered Abraham a promise, and Abraham believed the promise. And that's A on your handout there. Faith is believing the promises of God and trusting these for your righteousness apart from the works of the law. It's believing a promise. Every, again, everything about, we just read 9 through 12, it talks about faith, faith, faith. Even verse 13, look at what it says. For the promise, you see it, to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise, you see it again, is nullified. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there is no violation. Abraham's faith, again, is the issue, and it's rooted in a promise. Abraham believed what God said. And you see it on your handout. We saw it last week. Because of that, through that faith, the means of that faith, Abraham was credited. The word is credited. It's an accounting term. It, it literally means to, to, to put a deposit in your account. It's credited. It's gifted. Through faith. But it was sourced in a promise. It was built upon his faith. It was not this blind faith. His, not, his faith was built on a promise. He believed God. Five times in this passage the word promise shows up. Everything about this is built on a promise. It flows from a promise, namely that God would provide Abraham a son and that one day through his family, God would provide a seed through whom all the world would be blessed. And Abraham simply believed that promise. And that faith was credited as righteousness. And you see it on your hand out there. What Paul makes every effort in this section to show us is that everything in Abraham's ex experience with the Lord was sourced in his justification by faith. Sourced in his just He was justified. He was declared righteous. He was credited righteousness through faith. And thus, Abraham lived a specific way. He did certain things, but it was sourced in the belief in a promise. It wasn't, it wasn't due to works. It wasn't built on what Abraham did. Abraham did what he did because of a promise. Again, and, and Paul is using, he's showing that it was, it was all grace. Circumcision didn't bring the crediting of righteousness. Nothing Abraham did brought the credit of righteousness. Faith brought it. It's through faith. And, and even circumcision, again, it simply pointed to something greater, namely faith. In, in 1 Corinthians, he says it's a seal there. 
a sign of circumcision, verse 11. In 1 Corinthians 9, 2, Paul says that the Corinthian church is a sign or a seal of his apostleship. All it did was prove it's pointed to his apostleship. It didn't make him an apostle. Paul wasn't an apostle because of the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church existed because, again, Paul was an apostle. He had authority. It simply pointed to something greater. Namely, that God had credited Abraham with righteousness. Namely, that Abraham believed the promise of God. Circumcision did, it didn't have an independent value in its, of itself in the truest sense. That's why Paul later on is going to say that not all Israel is Israel. Just because you got circumcised didn't mean you're in the people of God necessarily, the true people of God. It didn't affect someone's entrance. It was a sign. But it couldn't be done void of faith. Faith. And beyond mere circumcision, Paul talks about in verses 13 through 15 about the law. Again, the true people of God are people of faith in the promise of God. It's trusting Christ's righteousness, not your own righteousness. That, that's what Paul is getting at with regards to the law. And, 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 and again, Paul makes this point in 13 and 15. And, and this would have stood in direct contrast to, to what many people believed. as they And we saw it last week. Most people saw Abraham's fidelity as the means of his righteousness. Oh, certainly God blessed him because he left Ur. Oh, they, he did this and he did this. And we'll see it in a minute in Romans 11. And, and you're getting it backwards. You, you don't have to take up the yoke of the law in order to become Abraham's child. It's through faith. And that's what Paul says in verse 13. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. There's a righteousness. And again, look at Romans 10 to make this very clearly. Very, make this point very clear. Go to Romans 10, 1 through 4. Everyone in this room has, the, has a choice. Are you going to try to get righteousness through your own efforts? Are you going to cling to the righteousness that Jesus Christ offers through faith? Romans 10, 1 through 4. And again, this is where many, uh, especially in, in the nation of Israel, got it wrong. He says in Romans 10, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer for God, to God for them, talking about Paul, is talking about his fellow um, Jewish nation there, brethren there, is for their salvation. Listen, for I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. Listen, they're energetic about God, but it's not in accordance to knowledge. Listen, here's the point. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, listen, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who what? Believes. Listen, what are we trusting Christ for? Righteousness. Again, the forgiveness of our sins is necessary in order for us to be declared righteous. And, and there's two choices. You can seek to establish your own righteousness through obedience to the law and trying to be good enough. On the front end, or you can trust Christ as your righteousness. That's what Paul is getting at. 
And listen, it's still a battle today. People trying to establish their own righteousness through their doing good or through works. They think they can do enough, that they can be good enough, and that God will somehow be pleased with them. I mean, I shared with you the story of, of a person that Karen and I talked about even last week who said he, he, he mowed our neighbor's yard, and he said, I think that got me some points with the man upstairs. I don't think that got you any points with the man upstairs, brother. I mean, I, this is the mentality that we live in. There, there, the, the same man helped me a, a few weeks ago with some lawn, take some stuff to the, to the dump, some lawn stuff. And, and we, I said, you know, I really appreciate you doing this. He says, no, 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 I, I needed to, I, I, this is my paying you back for what you did way back then, and, and, and I'm paying God back as well. What? Paying God back? You see the mentality? You see the works mentality? It's Christ. Faith alone, faith alone is our means to God's righteousness being credited to us. It's not through law keeping. It's not through being good enough. Listen, the reality is some of us could be sitting right here today thinking that God is well pleased and God owes you because you came here this morning. Mystery vote. Doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. The problem is, again, the problem is that we can do a lot of things without faith, apart from faith. That's what Paul deals with in Romans 10, seeking to establish our own righteousness. It's all about us. And everything for Abraham was built upon being credited righteousness through faith in a promise of God, not the law. And that's what you see on your handout. Faith alone, apart from works, even circumcision, gains someone access into the people of God. Faith alone. Abraham, the point Paul is making is that Abraham had already been declared righteous way before he was ever circumcised. His later circumcision did not add anything materially to his status. It simply was a seal. It showed it. In, in some ways, this ring, it's, I, I don't want to overstate all illustrations break down at some point. But listen, th- what does this ring do? This ring simply tells you I'm married. This ring simply publicly declares a status. It doesn't make me married. It just tells you, hey, that guy married somebody. I can wear it or not wear it. I'm still married. It's faith. It's faith. And and again, the issue is faith. Abraham was credited righteousness. And again, this is the, the purpose and the awesomeness of God. He was credited righteousness way before the law so that you would not think it was about the law. And yet God had him get circumcised so that those under the law, all people would see Abraham as their father, right? Under the law, not under the law. All people, one nation, one peoples. And that's what he says. All, so, that, so that whether you're circumcised or not, Gentile or Jew, all peoples have access to God. Faith alone. And again, Abraham believed while he was uncircumcised, thus he could be the father of Gentile believers. And because he believed, he obeyed God and was circumcised. 
Thus, he could be the father of Jewish believers. All people could now be, could thus be a part of God's people. And you see it there on your handout. Paul goes to great lengths to show that righteousness is credited apart from works so that Abraham could truly be the father of all who believe. See Galatians 3. I mean, we sing that song, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, I am one of them and so are you, so let's just pray the Lord. We go on and singing and singing and singing. Listen, that's from Galatians 3. How is, father, how is Abraham our father in that sense? Faith. How do we gain access to the people of God? Faith. It's not works. You, again, you can go to Galatians 3. The law was given 430 years after the promise was given to Abraham. 430 years later, the law came about. How was Abraham credited righteous 430 years earlier? Faith. Faith was the source of his righteousness. He, tr he simply was given, and when I say simply, I'm not demeaning it. I'm trying to narrow in on the focus. God offered him a promise, and Abraham built his entire life around that promise. Faith. And in do again, Paul is do in doing this, Paul is asking, even his readers, I'm asking you in here today, where's your hope? When you stand one day, listen, 2 Corinthians 5 says, it, is it appointed to all men to die once and after that to face judgment? Every single one of us are going to die in here if the Lord doesn't return. And we're going to stand before the Lord and give an account. Where's your righteousness? You're going to have a resume of things you did? Or is your resume going to say this, Christ? That's the battle. Because the tendency, the temptation for all of us, oh, I, I taught Awana. Oh, I went to church. I gave. I helped my neighbor. Oh, I, gave, I did this. 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 I left Ur. I went to a land that God did. You didn't even tell me. Or Christ. That's the battle every single one of us in this room are facing. Where is the source of my righteousness before God? Is it through what I do? Or is it in the one whom I believe? And, and Paul is using Abraham, again, to make a very clear point. Again, and he does that in verses 14 and 15 to, just to make it clear. Again, if you look to the law for your righteousness, here's all you're going to get, a guilty verdict. Because when it comes to the law, here's what it says. All, Romans 3.23, all have fallen short, all fall short. That's what the law, here's the standard. Here's what the law says. Here's what God's righteousness stand, looks like. All I do is fall short, fall short, fall short, fall short, fall short. If you're looking to the law, all you get is a guilty verdict. That's what he says in 14 and 15. You clearly now, go back to Romans 1, therefore we have no excuse. We clearly know what the standard is and we fall short. The whole impetus there, Galatians 3.24, the law was a tutor to lead us to Christ. The law was meant by God to get us to look for someone to be righteous on our behalf. Why? Because we fall short. It would be like if you said, Chris, in order to get into heaven, you need to be able to bench press 60 pounds. 
you know what? I'm, I'm like, I need a substitute. Jordan, come bench press 60 pounds for me. He wouldn't be who I chose. No offense, Jordan. Gage, come, you know, somebody. Here's the standard. Be perfect. Not be good. Not be above average. Be perfect. I mean, this is what Jesus said in Matthew 5.20. Your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees, otherwise you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Externally, they were very righteous. They sought to obey the law very well, and yet they fell short. And when you come to the law and you realize you fall short, you realize, I need a substitute righteousness. It's not about doing good. And you see it on your handout, God's righteousness only, only comes through belief in the promises of God apart from the law. Again, obedience, circumcision, all those things had their proper value, and that's Paul's point. But Paul's point is keep them in their proper place. Coming to church, reading the Bible, being faithful to your wife, seeking to obey. Listen, they matter, but not in establishing your initial righteousness before Christ, not in establishing your status as child of God. They matter matter because you're a child of God. And see, what happens is we we get the order reversed. And Paul's going to deal with this in Romans 6. People say, oh, well, if, sin abound, if grace abounds, we're sin abounds. Well, let's just do whatever we want to do. Paul says, you're missing the point. Grace doesn't give us a license to live however we want. Grace enables us to serve the Lord in a way today that I was not able to serve the Lord beforehand. Why? Because I was a child of wrath, and now I'm an adopted son. I now have the privilege of serving him in a way I never could have served before Christ. Before faith in Christ, rather. But it's about belief. It's faith is believing the promises of God. But, but in 16 through 23, Paul paints another side of this picture. And he tells us that faith is building your life on the promises of God. Not only believing the promises of God, it's building your life on the promises of God. And I want to be clear here, because our minds run real quick to works, 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 works. No, listen, hang with me. Four times, and this is where we really get down to it. Four times in this section of verses 16 through 23, Paul is going to refer to promise. Circle them in your I would circle them. I, I, I connect all the times that the word promise is here. You can see it in my Bible. There are lines connecting it, because that, that's the point. I want to remember, remember this. Look at verse 16. For this reason, it is by faith, you see it again, in order that it may be accordance to grace, here it is, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but to those who are of faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Again, promise. Verse 17, as it is written, a father of many nations I have made you in the presence of him who he believed, even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Listen to verse 18. And this, this, is, this is one of the most beautiful pictures of what faith really looks like. In hope against hope, he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Again, a reference to the promise. 
without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. So here's what he's saying. Abraham looks at his body and says, listen, I'm a 90-year-old man. My wife here, like, like Dwayne mistakenly said earlier, my wife's not any younger. This ain't working out well. When we look at these, Abraham says, when we look at these earthly circumstances, this is not looking out well. I would argue that might be the sense in which they pursued the thing with Hagar. Hey, this ain't working out well. When they looked at themselves, when they looked at their circumstances, their eyes dropped and they struggled. But listen, listen. What he says, yet, verse 20, yet with respect to the promise, there it is again of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. And this is what faith is. Look at verse 21. Being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able to perform. Where did Abraham's faith rest? In God. In the ability of God to do what God promised to do. Therefore, therefore, it was credited to him as righteousness, his faith. Now, 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 not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions, there's the gospel, and was raised because of our justification. Again, what Paul is showing us here is the, the role of a promise. How to, again, why was Abraham credited as righteous? Because he believed the promise of God. It was faith. Why? So that we just saw in Galatians 3, 27-31, so that even Abraham, even the great Abraham could not boast. Even Abraham. And again, that's what he's saying. This is built on the grace of God. This is built on the sovereignty and the goodness of God, the surety of that promise. Because again, you think about it. How good is a promise? A promise is only as good as the person who makes the promise, right? It's like a check. I could write a lot of checks. If all you want is a paper check, I could throw some paper checks around all day. Now, if you want it to clear, that's another issue. Listen, all, every single one of us in here, I guarantee you, have made promises that we didn't keep. And pa again, Paul immediately builds on, the, the, in comparison to the frailty of you and I trying to establish a relationship with God based on our works, as inconsistent and haphazard as those are, and clearly they fall short, in contrast of that sandy foundation, as Matthew talks about, Paul says, build your assurance on the promises and the character of God who is able to perform everything that he says he's, he, he will perform, right? He's comparing two foundations. You can build your life on your own. Build your life on your own works, you're going to fall. You're going to fail. The house is going to crumble. You build your life on the surety. Why is it through faith? So that the promise will be guaranteed. Guaranteed. None of this would come about. None of this would have come about if it rested singularly, even on the great Abraham, 
who we have, again, we'll talk about in a minute, who obviously failed miserably, lying about Sarah being his sister twice, thinking his wife had a great idea. Let, let go over there and have a relationship with my, my, my mistress Hagar, my helper Hagar. We need something more certain to build our lives on than self. Then our, we need something more certain than just self-righteousness that comes about through our attempts at being good. And again, you see it in your handout. Faith believes God's promises of righteousness through faith as a guarantee regardless of anything about you. Regardless of anything about you. Assurance, confidence, no matter what circumstances you face. God offers the same gospel, the same opportunity to respond to the gospel to you and I today. He is calling out to the world. In Romans 10, we'll see how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. God is making an appeal through us. Be reconciled to God through Christ, through faith in Christ. Again, it's not about works. It's not about ethnicity. Nothing about you matters. God has made a way for all ethnicities, all peoples, all sinners from great to small to be reconciled to a holy God and singularly through Christ, a promise. Let your faith rest there. And, and you see it on your handout there, the, 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 the culmination of that, the reality of that, that was so astounding. And Paul calls this a mystery in a sense, that the true descendants of Abraham are those who believe the promise of God. Those are the people of Abraham. It's not about ethnicity. It's about faith. It's about through faith, I see myself as the people of God, as a child of God. Romans 8, he's going to talk about that. The, the Spirit testifies in you, verse 15, that you are children of God and such you are, and in which we cry out by the Spirit, Abba, father and if you are heirs you are also if you're children you're also heirs all of that comes through faith in christ not works and, and paul paints a picture beginning in verse 18 of what that faith looked like in abraham and sarah's life god offered abraham a promise and abraham and sarah built their life on the promise the source of everything about their life was rooted in a promise and, and you see, Abraham and Sarah, they ignored the facts of their situation. They ignored the, the, the sight of their situation. They ignored what their situation appeared to be from a fleshly level and instead trusted God who what? Was able to raise the dead. You think about it, they're, they're, Sarah's womb was long gone. From a, from a human standpoint, Sarah's womb was dead. And yet Abraham and Sarah trusted that God was able to bring life to the dead. I, I dare say, I wonder if that's even pointing to, to when Abraham took Isaac up on the mountain and was willing to offer him as a sacrifice. And they're walking up that mountain. And you can imagine being a father and your son, who you know you're about to sacrifice. And your son looks at you and says, Dad, where's the sacrifice? What Abraham say? God will provide the sacrifice. Faith. Was Abraham thinking, hey, if I kill Isaac, God will raise him from the dead? Maybe. 
Was, God, was Abraham thinking, hey, if I, if I go through this, is God going to provide me another son? Maybe, I don't know. But, God, but Abraham believed God. Regardless, he believed God. And, and no matter how bleak the circumstances looked like, Abraham and Sarah went back to a promise. And this is the part of the application for you and I today is that we have to remind ourselves time and time and time again in the face of circumstances, in the face of sin, where Satan wants you to doubt the promise of God. He wants you to doubt the fidelity and the faithfulness and the promise of God. And you see it on the handout. When man in the world and all its resources offer God's people no help, God's promises still offer hope. The hope is in the promise of God. It's not in circumstances. And again, Abraham's faith, it was not some leap in the dark. It wasn't baseless. It wasn't irrational. It was sourced in God. Again, humanly speaking, Abraham had every reason not to believe. That's verse 19. Without becoming weak in the faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. And yet Abraham's hope flew in the face of what he saw and reasoned. It flew in the face of common sense. Why? Because it was in God. It was in the promises of God. And we see here what faith is. You see it on your handout. Faith is believing that God will do what God said he would do and adjusting your life to those promises. It's orienting your life around the promise of God. Day by day by day, it is orienting my life around the promise of who I am through Christ, that my righteousness has been graced to me, credited to me through faith. That, again, we say it all the time, but that's what Philippians 2, what Paul is talking about, working out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And, and as, if that wasn't challenging enough, the very first thing he says about working out your salvation is this in verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or complaining. Hello. I, I thought about that this week, even as I was thinking about this sermon. When we grumble and complain, who are we ultimately grumbling and complaining to? God. Who's sovereign over your circumstances? Who's sovereign over every detail of your life? When Israel, 430 years, they've, they're 400 years they've been in slavery in Egypt. God miraculously rescues them, delivers them out of Egypt. What'd they do? They grumbled and complained. Takes them to the cusp of the promised land. They send 12 spies in. They believe the 10 over the 2. They do not believe the promise of God that that land was theirs. They wander around for 38 years in the wilderness. What'd they do? Grumbled and complained. God provided everything for them, even in their sin. You and I today, what's the number one thing you and I are prone to today? Grumbling and complaining. Do, again, and at the very core, listen, as, as, as challenging as that might be, it's because we're not trusting the promise of God. It all goes back to the promise of God. Is he for us and not against us? Is he who is in us really, 1 John 5, greater than he who is in the world? Is he not coming back for us? Did he not in John 14 say, take heart, 
If it were not so, I told you I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if it were not so, I told you when I'm ready, I'll come back and get you. Has he not told us in Romans 8, 18 that the present sufferings are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed in us? Has he not told us in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 that this momentary light affliction is producing in us an eternal weight of glory? It's going back to the promises. It's building our lives, not on what we see. It's building our lives on what God has said. And despite what his body told him, despite what his circumstances told him, despite anything about what Abraham saw, Abraham clung to the promise of God. And you see it there. When everything seems unlikely, Abraham stood firm in the promises of God. That's faith. Faith is not buckling under tough circumstances. That's a lack of faith. Faith is not manipulating the circumstances. That's a lack of faith. That's not faith. And the issue is faith. It didn't mean Abraham didn't struggle. It didn't mean that Abraham didn't waver at times. We know he did. He lied about Sarah. He he laid with Hagar. But Abraham repented. He went back to the promise of God. And this, even this should encourage us that we don't, listen, faith doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. The scripture is full of stories that reveal God's people wavering. But again, what does it say? He did not waver in unbelief. He went back to the promises of God. And it's interesting in Proverbs 24, 16, it says the righteous man falls seven times, but gets back up. He goes back to the promise. And, even, and, and again, this, this is maybe worth noting that it oftentimes, oftentimes, friends, it's the getting back up that tells us where our faith really rested. It's the getting back up. See, because here, here's how self-righteousness looks. When you stumble and when you fall, you wallow in that pity for weeks and months. Why? I would argue that where you really were trusting was yourself. What you really were trusting in was your ability not to sin and not Christ's ability to declare you righteous. Versus understanding the promise. And when you stumble, repent. I'm not minimizing that. If we confess our sins, 1 John, we is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, Proverbs 24, 16, the righteous man falls seven times and he gets back up. Why? Because it's not about law keeping. It's about Christ. That does not minimize sin. It's the fact that my righteousness is not in my ability to be perfect. It's, a bit, it's in Christ's ability who was and is and always will be perfect. And so the challenge is, you know, as we look at this, is to ask ourselves some hard questions about our own faith. Where are we really trusting? Are we trusting in our ability to be a good person? I, I would say that was me as a, a middle schooler or a high schooler. I was just a good guy. You know, I didn't do a lot of the stuff, but again, it wasn't out of a love for the Lord. It was out of self-righteousness. It was out of what do people think about me. It was out of what do people think about my parents. There's a big difference. 
between trying to be good so the world thinks I'm a good guy and trusting in Jesus Christ for my righteousness. There's a huge difference. And you see it on your handout. At times, your faith itself might be feeble, but its object, object is secure, right? The object of our faith is secure. Will we struggle? Yeah. And again, that's why, again, that's why works won't cut it. They're feeble. They're inconsistent. That's what Paul gets at in 14 and 15. They're, they're inconsistent at best. And instead, look at verse 20. Instead of growing weak in the faith, yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith. Abraham's grew faith grew stronger in the midst of circumstances that said otherwise. Why? Because faith was the issue. And it provided hope. And again, faith, again, strength. How is strength forged? Strength is forged through overcoming. Strength is forged. You know, if you sit under a barbell and you get on the, if you get on the bench and you lay down and you drop that bar to your chest and you just say, forget it, I ain't doing it. You don't gain any strength. You know where strength is forged? By pushing against the weight. You know what the Bible says? Stand, resist the devil. Resist the devil and he will what? Flee from you. Resist him. You grow stronger. What's Paul saying? The devil may just say, I'm going to take my resources somewhere else because this joker ain't budging. Resist the devil. Not give in to the devil. Not toy with the devil. Look, strength is forged. Again, muscles, weights, holiness against temptation. The, the person who understands temptation the fullest, listen, is the one who resists it not the one who gives into it. It's the, it's the student who stays pure in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation who says, don't worry about it. That's the person who really understands temptation and is strong. It's the one who, in a culture that says, you know, sexuality doesn't matter and, and, and all this. No, it's the person who says, no, no, by faith, I'm going to stand firm. And, and, you know, by faith, I'm not going to do what the culture says. I'm not going to get my identity through my clothes and through my friends and through what I do or don't do. No, I'm going to get my identity in who Christ says I am, and I'm going to rest my faith there, come what may. That's, that's faith. It's standing firm. And when you struggle, when you fall, as we will, listen, repent. Keep moving on. When we struggle as a body, repent, forgive one another, and keep moving on. Because again, our identity is not in my ability not to sin. I don't want to sin, but my, my status as God's child is in Christ's righteousness that doesn't waver. That's faith. You see it on your hand out there. Only through standing firm and even pushing against obstacles will we ever build strength to our faith. When it boils down to it, you know, what do you believe, the word or the world? Do you believe what you see or do you believe what the word says? Do you believe what you feel or do you believe what the word says? I mean, and again, in our schools, work, neighborhoods, social networks, will, will we stand firm no matter what and obey Christ no matter what the consequences are or will we buckle and try to fit in? So that's the question. 
every time we buckle, just know this, every time you buckle, there's a chance you're, gonna, you're weakening your faith. You're hindering the gospel. You're giving in and saying obedience doesn't matter, depending on your attitude about it. And at the end, don't think for one second that our buckling doesn't matter. Ask Abraham and Sarah. There's an entire nation out there because of Ishmael who have been warring against God's people. There were huge consequences for buckling. God was faithful. Huge consequences for buckling. Huge consequences for doing their own thing, going their own way. And again, standing firm, you see it, standing firm in God's promises despite all evidence brings glory to God. That's verse 20, giving glory to God. Again, our assurance is in God. Verse 21, being fully assured that God was, had what God had promised, God was able to perform. No matter the obstacle. And listen, it's not just any promise. Salvation is not some vague, general, oh, I believe in God. That's not salvation. James 2 says the demons believe in God and tremble. There's a specificity. Look at verses 24 and 25. The promise that you and I today build our entire lives around is the promise that righteousness can be found through nothing but faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is a specificity to our, to our faith, and it is Christ. It is the work of Christ, and that's 4, 24 and 25. But for our sake also, to whom, this isn't just for Abraham's sake, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in Jesus, or believe in him rather, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Again, everything goes back to Genesis 15, 6 and God's promise to Abraham that through his seed, God would raise up a Savior. Paul connects it even with Jesus. Here's the seed. Go to Galatians 3. Jesus is the seed. Not seeds, seed. One seed, Jesus. Again, even in Galatians 3, Paul said, and again, you know, Abraham believed the Lord he believed a specific promise. And the question becomes, well, how much did Abraham know about Jesus who would be born, you know, thousands of years later? I, I would propose that he knew more than we give him credit for. And, and listen, listen to John 8. Jesus says this, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. In Galatians 3.8, it says, Paul said that God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham when he promised, all the nations shall be blessed in you. Maybe he didn't see it the way we see it. But he saw it enough to believe in it. He saw it enough to build his entire life upon it. Again, everything Abraham did, even in, you go to Hebrews 11, the famous chapter there, beginning in verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed, going out to a place which he was received for an inheritance. And when he went, and he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for a city that has its foundation 
whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. He said, where was her faith? She considered God faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man, and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of the heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. God kept his promise. Everything Abraham did was built upon the assurance of God's promise. It wasn't reversed. He was not credited righteousness because he left Ur. He left Ur because God told him to leave Ur and he believed him. He wasn't credited righteousness because he did all this stuff. No, no. He did all this stuff because he had already been credited as righteous. He built his entire life around that. And and Paul is showing us what faith is. I got to get out of here. Get y'all out of here, brother. Paul has made it clear. Here it is. Real quick. Faith is apart from works. It's apart from works. Faith is apart from circumcision. Faith is apart from the law. Faith is apart from sight. Finally, faith is centered on Christ. Again, skip down here. I'll give you this last fill next to the last. Faith is fixing our hope solely on the promises of God. Is Christ enough? And I put a, I put a, I, I would say many of us in here today, if not right now, have been or will find ourselves where Abraham found her, themselves, Abraham and Sarah. And I put this quote here from John Calvin. Look what it says. It says, let us also remember what will we do when we find ourselves in a situation where everything tells us opposite. It's contrary to what the word is telling us. Calvin says this, let us also remember that the condition of us all is the same with that of Abraham. All things around us are in opposition to the promises of God. He promises immortality. We are surrounded with mortality and corruption. He declares that he counts us as just. We are covered with sins. He testifies that he is propitious propitious and kind to us. Outward judgments threaten his wrath. What then is to be done? We must with closed eyes, here it is, we must with closed eyes pass by ourselves and all things connected with us that nothing may hinder or prevent us from believing that God is true. Greatest impact in every single one of our lives in here, including this man right here, is this. Utter, unshakable confidence that God is true. It's it's an utter confidence. It's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Every, in this room, Satan has attacked and will attack and will continue to attack and to get us to doubt that God is true. Look beyond the death of your loved one. Look beyond the abandonment of your spouse. Look beyond the loss of your job. Look beyond all the offenses that may come between us, beyond the hurt, beyond everything else, and see this. God is true. Build your life on the promises of God. 
And you see it there. What we need from a practical sense more than anything is an unshakable confidence in who God is and His promises. Simply saying that you have faith is not enough. Faith in what? Faith has no power in and of itself. It is only as powerful as the one in whom you place your faith. Do you really believe that this God of this Bible and Jesus Christ whom He sent is true? Our faith, again, you see it there, is fueled by the Word. It's not feelings. Go back to the Bible. It's not this and that. It's this. Again, 1 John 5, this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Our faith. Be secure in Christ even in affliction. Take risks for the gospel's sake, knowing nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, and do all things to the glory of God. We're free to do that in faith. But we won't do that unless we're confident that God is who He says He is. Until then, we'll mix it. We'll do a little of both. We'll think, we'll deceive ourselves in thinking we can dabble in the world and dabble in the world and that God's going to be okay with that. All signs of a weak faith. All signs of weak faith. Learn to look, I close with this, learn to look at our problems in light of the promises of God and face them with faith. Interpret your circumstances based on the promises of God. Don't try to interpret the promises of God based on your circumstances. 